All right, Revelation chapter 20. And once again, Miss Patsy, there is no way in the world I can finish it off. But I'm going to do verses 1 through 6, and I might finish that. <laughs> um, I, I want y'all to know I've got seven pages of notes for the chapter, not tonight. Seven pages of notes for, I got three, but, but of these seven pages, three of these are the first six verses. So it's a lot. And um, uh, I just, you know, we'll get started and we'll go as far as we can go, okay? So let's look at it. This is Revelation 20. Let me read the first six verses. We'll pray and then we'll just dive into it. So the scripture says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. Then I saw thrones and they that sat on them and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power. And they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Let's pause here and pray. Father in heaven, what we read tonight is so spectacular. It is uh, mind-boggling. It, it challenges our imagination, but it also causes our hearts to soar. And so we pray tonight as we look into these wonderful truths that you would take us where you want us to go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we were talking movies earlier. Doesn't that sound like a movie? What we just read? I mean, that is spectacular stuff. And so I'm just going to kind of walk through it almost verse by verse and go as far as I can with it. But we're going to start with this idea that Satan is bound for a thousand years. And so I'm just going to get ahead of myself and go ahead and define that. You know, what does it mean for Satan to be bound for a thousand years? It means that he will not have any influence for a thousand years. That's what it means. And so without answering any other questions you may have, let's just hold on to that anchor right there. That there will be a time in the future where the world will be somewhat like you know it now, only there will be no influence from the devil, no influence from any of his uh, demons. There will be no evil spiritual influence in the world. It will be gone. You and I can't hardly, I can't really imagine what that'd be like to not have that kind of spiritual influence at work in the world anywhere, especially since the scripture will define him as the deceiver. So deception is always around us, right? I mean, it, we, we swim in it. We live in it. Deception is always here. It was here when we got here. You were born into it. You've never had a day without it. It's just always here. And that's the influence of the devil. It's the influence of our spiritual enemy 
And there will come a point in time, according to this scripture, where that enemy is bound for a thousand years, will not have influence in the world whatsoever. That's amazing. Question? Oh, the fly? You were swatting a fly? Yeah. It's almost Garden of Eden-like. Almost. And, and here's why it's not complete Garden of Eden. Because there are going to be fallen people still in the world. They'll be falling. So, so we talked about this a week or two ago, or last time we were here. The millennial reign, and I, I know all of this we're going to kind of talk about. The millennial reign is unique because Jesus returns. He's reigning on the earth. He's the king. He's the president. He's the leader. He's in charge of everything. But the earth will be composed of people who survived the tribulation, just like us. It'll be composed of resurrected saints that came back from heaven. And, uh, you know, the earth will just be this conglomerate of both resurrected saints and people on the earth, some who believe and some who don't. And that's what the earth will be like. And Jesus will rule over it all. He'll rule over the nations. Every prophecy ever spoken of him will come true. And, and he is king of kings and lord of lords ruling over the earth. All that's coming in the future. And, and you're going to be there. <laughs> you're going to be there. And, and I know you'll be there because, one, either the end of the world will happen and we'll live through it, or you're coming back with him. I want to be one of the resurrected saints. i just go ahead and tell you. Like, that's the part I want to be in. You know? And I know people say, come on, let's get the world over. Look, look, let me just live out my life and die. I want to come back as a resurrected saint. I want to be here in the thousand-year reign as a person who was resurrected. I, it's a better deal. That's just my way of speaking of it, okay? Live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. That sounds like the thing I want to do. So I may have gotten ahead of myself on some of that, but that's really the good stuff. So notice in verse 1, it is an angel unnamed angel that comes down from heaven and has the keys, lays hold of our spiritual enemy, and binds him. That's who does it. It's not Gabriel. It's not Michael, the only two angels named in the Bible. It's not God himself. It's not Jesus. It is just another angel could do it. So anytime you hear people try to elevate the devil and make him like the equal to God, kind of like a uh, day and night, you know, equal, yin and yang, good and evil, and they try to make the devil equal to God. Please understand the Bible never does that. God rules alone. The devil is way down here somewhere. And it doesn't take God or any named angel or Jesus the Son to bind him. God just sends a, an angel to go and take care of the devil. He is nowhere near God's equal. And this scripture is just one of those places that shows us that in that way. Now, the, the idea that the devil will be bound and not have influence for a thousand years, but then will be released is something that, you know, we have to deal with. Like, why would that happen? Why is that? And, and the simple answer for that is we started talking about environment. Adam and Eve were in a perfect environment. During the millennial reign of Christ, the devil has no influence in the world. And yet, as soon as he has a chance to be there again and influence, people go, some people go right back to him. Okay, so that just demonstrates that it's, it's, the problem's not our environment. It's in us. It's in us. Adam and Eve were not even like us. They were perfect, and they still chose sin. We're fallen. We're, we're going to choose sin. 
Okay, so you can change our environment. You can make it all better. You can take away the influence of the devil. But as soon as we get, t as soon as we get tempted, some of us are going to choose it. So the problem's in us. And that's what makes salvation stand out because it is the grace of God alone that saves us and changes us. So you got verse 2 and verse 3. This shows the uh, imprisonment, or I'm going to say the restriction, the restraining of the devil for a thousand years. He's called the dragon, which is one of my favorite terms for him. Our spiritual enemy is the dragon. Uh, people have asked me recently about things, and I just say, look, the dragon hates these people. That's my answer. You know, The dragon hates these people. He, hate, he hates all of God's people. And if you don't think you've got an enemy that hates you, you do. Absolutely you do. And I know lots of Christians want to go through their days and think warm, fuzzy thoughts and everything's happy and good. And I'm telling you, you've got a spiritual enemy. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He never dials it back. He never gives up. He hates you. He is sold out to deceiving you, to steal, to kill, and destroy from you. That's your spiritual enemy. Now, don't get bogged down in that because Jesus said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that includes the devil. But he's going to be bound for a thousand years. He's called the dragon. He's called the serpent. He's called the devil. He's called Satan. All of that right there in verse 2. The scripture also gives a lot of uh, descriptive words, verbs. They laid hold of him, bound him, cast him, shut him up, put a seal on him. He, he's not there. Now, sometimes people say, well, is this literal? Like, is it a real chain? You know, <laughs> I don't think we have to go that far. You know, the, the whole, remember when we started Revelation? Je this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it was signified to us. So the symbolism is there to teach us something. And so when it says the angel comes down from heaven and he has a chain and he throws him into the bottomless pit, take that as literal as you want to take it. But the symbolism is to say that, that he is absolutely taken and not able to influence people anymore. I was looking out the window. I saw the rescue something there. It's, uh, it's out on the fire truck i think it's out on the road i was making sure it wasn't in the parking lot here with us now jude chapter six and this is just one of those scriptures that comes up sometimes if you get a chance look over in jude chapter six there's a description there of angels that have been bound that that there are some demonic beings they don't even have the freedom the devil has they've been bound and chained revelation tells us that at the end of time there are some um, demonic beings that are that are let loose that have been bound it may be the same group as the ones in Jude 6 but but there are other angels that are described as being bound in the same way that the devil is being described at uh, described here um, the other thing that kind of stands out to me with this is sometimes people want to take this as kind of a personal thing they want to say well this is just a description of how the devil can be you know personally bound but it's, it's more than that. This is about all of the influence. It's about the influence of the devil as a deceiver for the whole world. And, and so you think about it. Jesus died. He rose from the dead. The day of Pentecost happened. His church went out and, and, and went all over the world. And yet it's still obvious that the devil has great influence. Even in the Bible, he's called the prince of the power of the air. You know, so this binding of Satan... There's no person that can do that. I've heard people pray prayers like that. You know, they're praying to bind Satan or whatever. And I think I know what they mean when they're praying that. But 
There, there's no person that's powerful enough to do that. This is something that, that God will do when God chooses to do it, and he sends an angel to take care of that influence, and that'll happen. But, you know, I think the next step of that is to understand that either directly or indirectly, even the devil serves the purpose of God. Now, that's worth thinking about. Don't, don't think that God's up in heaven wondering what the devil's going to do, and then he's going to counteract it, or God's going to preempt what the devil's about to do. No, no, God knows everything. There's, there are no surprises to God, and, and God does know what the devil's going to do, knows what he will do before he ever does it, and either directly or indirectly, even the devil serves the purposes of God. And I know that kind of boggles our mind, and it makes us wonder why. And I, I can't tell you that in this life you'll ever get the answers to all those whys. I can't even promise you in heaven you're going to get an answer to all the whys. I don't, I mean, God's going to let us know when God lets us know. I also know this. The New Testament teaches that it'll take forever for God to explain his love to us. So if it's going to take forever for God to demonstrate, to show, to explain to us how much he loves us, if, if that's going to take forever, then there's probably some other things that we wonder about and have questions about that will just go on forever too. Because we're the creature, he's the creator. There are going to be some things about God, who he is, what he does, that will always be a mystery to us. Always. All right, don't let me get too far away from that. Let me read you this. I, I wrote this qu quote down, uh, thinking about the devil as a deceiver. It says, the truth is ever against him. Okay. Uh, therefore, falsehood in... Um, his particular recourse, that is his particular recourse and instrument. But falsehood is repulsive. What we know to be a lie cannot command our respect. That's just obvious, right? If you know something's a lie, you can't respect it. Untruth can only gain credence and acceptance by being disguised to appear as the truth. Right? Even the New Testament says that the devil is... Um, transformed to an angel of light because if you see him for who he is he's repulsive you don't want anything to do with him but if he appears as an angel of light that's the deception and that's where it comes from falsehood can have no power over us until we are led to believe and conclude that it is the truth i mean if you know it's a lie why would you believe it right if you know it you, you're only going to believe a lie if you think it's true and this deluding of men Mankind, getting them to accept and follow lies and false hopes under the persuasion that they are accepting and following the truth is the great work and business of the devil in every age. I could not say that better myself. That, that's what our enemy's up to, and that's what will be taken away during those thousand years. I'll give you another scripture. We don't have time to look to it tonight. It's 1 Peter chapter 5. Speaks of the ongoing current influence of the devil that he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour so that's still going on today um, i've heard people explain this a couple different ways part of it i think is just the roar of a lion is supposed to be scary right it's supposed to be scary but i've also heard people explain it that when lions hunt the one that roars is not the one that's killing things the one that roars is scaring everything else and the others are doing the killing so I don't know how you want to look at it. What helps you the most, you know? Sometimes the roar is quite scary, but the roar is not really the actual danger. 
But that's the image we're given of the devil. He's like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So the ongoing influence and deception of the devil is always there. All right, let's keep going a little bit further. Uh, Till the thousand years were finished. So the thousand years, this is the way um, I just, I'm going to give you like the historical divisions of how to look at these thousand years. In the first few hundred years of church history, it was almost unanimous. Like any of the church fathers in the first 300 years, if you read what they wrote about it, they all believed that one day Jesus would return, establish his kingdom on earth. Okay, they all believed that. Then around the 300s, a guy came along and he said, well, wait a minute, it's going to be more of a spiritual reign. You know, there's not going to be an actual reign. It's a spiritual reign of Christ, and that's going on now because he reigns in our hearts. That became known as amillennialism, meaning no actual millennium, that Christ reigns in our hearts now. You understand it spiritually. Don't understand it as an actual return of Christ where he rules over the earth for a thousand years. Just understand he's ruling in your heart today. Uh, my professors, most of my professors growing up, they went to seminary in a time when amillennialism was what was being taught in Baptist seminaries. That's what they were taught. And some of them still believed that by the time they were teaching us, but amillennialism. Then uh, World War I and World War II kind of destroyed that. You know, people decided the world wasn't getting better. <laughs> it was getting worse. And then there was something called post-millennialism. And, and the idea was, you know, the church will usher in kind of a golden age of, of, the, of the church, and then Jesus will return. Well, obviously, that's not what's going to happen, right? The world continues to get worse, not better. So amillennialism kind of faded. Postmillennialism, you know, history just says that's not working. And what we're left with is what the church started with. It's pre-millennialism. That is, Christ returns first. That's the pre, and he sets up his kingdom for a thousand years. And so we've gone through all this time. We're in the year 2018, and among Protestants, that's right now the dominant view. We, we are pre-millennial people. We believe one day Jesus will actually return. He'll set up his kingdom on earth. Every scripture that's ever been written about that will be true because those texts have not been true yet unless you only want to consider them in a spiritual way. And I don't want to consider them all in a spiritual way. Some of you were here earlier. You saw Tyler sitting there talking to me. Did y'all catch what we were doing? Were y'all eavesdropping? Why not? <laughs> it was, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to tell on him, okay? It's all good. He won't mind, I don't think. He, he came to me a while back. He said, I want to I understand the book of Isaiah. Will you help me? So you see his notebook? This, this guy takes his notebook, sits down with the book of Isaiah, reads it, every chapter, writes down his questions, things like that, and then every week he sits down with me to go over that. This week we did 17 to 26. Those were the chapters because we didn't get to do it last week. So we had kind of a bigger group. But that's what he was doing over there. We were going through chapters 17 to 26 of Isaiah and looking at that. And he was just asking me the questions and we're talking about that. And I'm just kind of helping him understand Isaiah. I said to him today, I said, one of the great things about me doing this with you while teaching through Revelation is there are echoes of Isaiah in Revelation. And, and we're looking at those same things, you know. And chapter 25 of Isaiah, I mean, it's just like it, the prophet speaks to his own day, but he speaks to the end of the world. 
Because he speaks of the final judgment of the world and of the final hope in the world. And that's exactly what we're looking at in Revelation chapter 20. So it's just fascinating how those things work. And, and so Isaiah doesn't, he doesn't speak of the millennial reign as a thousand year reign, but he describes some of the realities of the millennial reign. He describes that. You know, it's Isaiah who says one day the lion will lie down with the lamb. And a little child will play with the, with the snake, you know. And, and those are the things that are in Isaiah that are only going to be true in the millennial reign of Christ, just kind of as a description there. So when you hear people talk about the millennial reign, just know there's a, such a thing as a spiritual viewpoint, all millennial. There's a kind of a historical one that says the church will usher in the golden age and then Jesus will come back. That's not happening. And then there's the actual intervention where Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom. And that's known as premillennialism. And that's what I teach. And that's really where I am. And that's what I believe that the Bible teaches. So uh, if you hear other things, I don't, you know, I don't get upset with people that believe differently than me on that. It's just when it's my turn to be the preacher, that's what I teach. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. So uh, we, got, we have a little more time, right? Till the thousand years were finished. Okay, so during the millennial reign, what's going to happen? Let me give you some kind of descriptions of this and some text to go along with it. During the millennial reign, the nation of Israel will be what we would call the superpower. So the, the, the nation that, that God established, Israel, that didn't exist for almost 2,000 years, like from A.D. 70 back up to the Babylonian captivity, they ceased to exist as a nation. Actually, from A.D. 70 all the way to 19, was it 48, when Israel became a nation again? So they fell to the Roman Empire in A.D. 70. Israel was not a nation until 1946 or 1948, and they became a nation again. So nearly 2,000 years, they didn't exist as a, a nation at all. Now they are, and according to the Bible, in the end, in the millennial reign, they'll be the superpower. I mean, that, that's God's chosen people, God's chosen nation. Jesus will rule over that, and that will be the leading nation in all the world. Scriptures for that, Isaiah 2, Ezekiel 17. So you can kind of go back there and read those chapters and get a little information on that. During uh, Isaiah 2, Ezekiel 17. During the millennium, citizens of the earth, all the people on the earth, will acknowledge the lordship of Jesus. And it's going to be easy for those of us who are resurrected saints. It'll be easy for us. For the people that survived the tribulation, uh, you know, uh, I guess they can think what they think, but Jesus is the Lord. He is the ruler. He is the king over all the earth. Again, it's kind of hard to imagine what it would be like to have resurrected saints and fallen human beings in the same world, but that's the description that you have from the millennial reign. A third one, during the millennial reign, there'll be no more war. And that's Isaiah chapter 2 again. Um, the Lordship thing, that's Isaiah 2. All, all that comes from Isaiah 2. The next one, during the millennial reign, uh, there'll be blessing and security for national Israel. There's so much that's said about Jesus reigning on earth and Israel being blessed because of that. And that's Amos chapter 9. It'll also, millennial reign will be a time of purity and devotion to God. And that's Zechariah chapter 13. I know I'm just giving you a lot there, but but there's just so much of it to think about. And then one of the really interesting ones is during the millennium, there'll be a rebuilt temple. But that temple will function as a memorial to what God has done. Okay, and, and you'll find that in Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 40. 
uh, Ezekiel 20 and Amos 9. I'll read that again. So Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 40, Ezekiel 20, and Amos 9. So that temple that was so important, you know, it started out as a tabernacle, tabernacle in the wilderness and became the temple in Jerusalem. That temple, temple that pointed to Jesus, the temple that eventually the church, we are that temple. We're it. You know, we are the temple of God in the world, the body of Christ. That temple we rebuilt during the millennial reign as a memorial to what God has always, because the plan's always been the same. It's always the same plan. It's always been Jesus and us coming to him that provides our salvation. And so there'll be one. And then the last part of this is that during the millennial reign, saints in their resurrected state, resurrected saints, will be given responsibilities in the millennial reign. All right, that's in the New Testament. It's in this chapter, Revelation 20. It's in Revelation chapter 2. It's in Revelation chapter 3. It's in Luke chapter 19. And it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you're thinking about that, I mean, that's why I said, let me live out my life, die and go to heaven, because I want to come back as a resurrected saint. That, that, that's, what I, that's what I want to do. I want to be part of that. And, and, and this is another way to think about it. This will put your whole life in a different perspective. Everything you're going through now, everything you ever go through in this life, everything that, anything that will ever happen to you in the future is to get you ready for what you're going to do in his kingdom. That makes sense. That kind of makes it a little different, right? Like during the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years, you're going to be there. You're going to have certain responsibilities. He is, he's like you're doing on-the-job training now. He's getting you ready for it now. He's shaping your character now. He's shaping your understanding now. He's giving you the experiences you need now to be ready for that work that's in eternity. Because unlike the myth, you're not going to be floating around on clouds and playing harps and singing songs. That's not heaven, okay? That's not it. There's going to be a place and there's going to be work to do and you're going to have responsibilities and he's getting you ready for it now through all the good things that come your way and all the bad things that come your way. This is why I think when you think about the Lordship of Jesus, you have to come down to this point. At some point, everything is his. Everything you've got, everything you might ever have, everything you've ever had, it's all his. So if you can ever learn to see it that way, my time is his, the money's his, my talent is his, the, the other resources I have through connections with people, all of that belongs to him. So just use it in a way that he wants you to use it. You know, just honor him with it. If he says give it away, give it away. That's what you're supposed to do. If he wants you to have more, he'll give you more. It's just amazing when you think about it. And really there's nothing that will ever come to you, nothing that will ever happen to you that's outside of the scope of his plan and his purpose preparing you for what's going to be in eternity. All of it. You belong to Him. All right, is that far enough for the night? <laughs> I don't know. What time is it? Oh, it's 6.51. I need to kind of start wrapping this up before I run completely out of time. I think I can do just a little bit more, okay? Let me do, let me do a little, little more page of notes. Oh, never going to get through all this. Okay. 
let me read verse 4 again, okay, because this is the part that, that we've kind of been talking about. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their foreheads, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. All right? That's the group I want to be in, right there. Live and reign with Christ for a thousand years. I think I've told you all this before. I might as well tell you again, because some of you may not have heard it. Well, my mother died in 1997, and uh, for the first few years, I always go. I would always go back to her grave every year in May. So, like this year, May is on the way, and if I get a chance, I'll do it again. First few years, I always went because I wanted to make sure my children knew where it was at, <laughs> you know. But there was more to it than that. But I always go back to my mother's grave, and then after we visit or whatever. All the kids, go, you know, they get bored with that in like three minutes. They're like, okay, this is the cemetery, we're out of here. And everybody would go back to the van except me. You know, I'd stand there. But it never was, it never was a sad time for me. You know, because my mother became a Christian at 40. Like, I was, I was 20 years old. I, I remember it. I saw her change. For the eight years that she lived after becoming a believer, I saw a new person. So I don't have any doubt about her faith. And, and when we buried her there in a family cemetery out in the country, you know, it's just not a final resting place. It's a resting place for the body, but it's not a final resting place. And so every time I go back and I stand there and we put new flowers out and all that, every time I do that, it becomes such an encouraging moment because I know what the scripture says. One day a trumpet sounds, and the dead in Christ rise first. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I know that's coming. I don't have any doubt about it. The scripture teaches it. My own changed life is the evidence of it. Jesus said the spirit within you, that's the down payment. That's the proof that all the rest is coming. It's just like uh, you put a down payment on a house. You borrowed the money, you know, the mortgage, they, you know, the, there's the money, okay, but the down payment says I'm going to pay the rest. That's what the Holy Spirit is to you. The Holy Spirit is the down payment that all the rest is coming, that God will bring about everything that he promised. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you have been so good to us, and you give us these promises and these blessings, and Lord, at times they are overwhelming. And we thank you for them. We pray, Lord, that we would keep these things in our mind, that they would shape the way that we think and the way that we act, that they would help us to see the, the advances and the good things that come our way as blessings from you. And, and even the things when they're taken away or, or removed from our life, Lord, even then that we would see it as your hand in our life, bringing about your will. God, thank you for each person here tonight. Bless them, bless their family. And guide us as we leave. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight.